Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Ah, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on YouTube tonight. My YouTube channel is Strange Planet. And uh, we also upload shows to Rumble, Rumble rumble.com. The Rumble channel is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And I, I think once we figure out how to live stream on Rumble, we'll probably move everything over there. I just got in the house, oh, maybe an hour ago here in Old Thornhill. The family and I came back from Brantford to visit my mom, who is 96 and still going strong. And uh, on the way back, we got caught in a deluge. The kind of rain, well, you know what I mean, with the wipers can't keep up even at full speed. And then you get behind like a tractor trailer and all 18 wheels are throwing more water at you. And suddenly it's like you're on board the Maid of the Mist heading into the whirlpool at Niagara Falls. It was a little tense, kind of some uh, white knuckle moments there. In fact, I'm still holding on to the steering wheel. <laughs> haven't been able to pry it out of my hands. Uh, anyway, dare I say it was biblical? I know that's kind of shop worn, but it's true. I could have sworn I heard God in my head calling out measurements in cubits. Right. What's a cubit? I guess it's uh, not politically correct to make allusions to Bill Cosby routines anymore. Anyway, we're going to continue in the biblical vein for the next two hours or 90 minutes. Anyway, the book of Revelation, the most mysterious, cryptic book in the Bible, the final book of the New Testament, also called the Apocalypse of John, Revelation to John, or Revelation from Jesus Christ. So what is the book of Revelation trying to tell us? Who are the major characters? What does it say about the end times, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast? Documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan is here for the first hour and part of the second to discuss Revelation. In fact, he has a, a new weekly series on this prophetic book of the Bible coming up every Thursday night, I believe, on Zoom, but he'll tell us more about that. The last half hour of the program, open lines, ask me anything. Now, before we get rolling, a shout out to our Star Chamber tier supporters on Patreon, Dr. Lyle E. Gross, Deep Paul, and Tim Sullivan. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for your generous support. And all of the work I do here is possible in part because of generous supporters like you. And if you'd like to become an official donor to the program, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. And there are several donor tiers to choose from. Pick the one that's right for you or just give whatever you'd like. And I'm, again, truly, truly grateful for all of your support. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. The book of Revelation, as I say, the final book of the New Testament has some of the most dramatic and frightening language in the Bible. There are some pretty scary images as well. Bright red beasts with seven heads and dragons, monsters and cosmic eruptions. There are seven plagues and bowls of wrath, seven seals and seven trumpets, the whore of Babylon and the battle 
of Armageddon. What does it all mean? Alicia Adetan is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence, keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. Ali, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Hello, Richard. Very good. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. First of all, let's get the, the details here on the uh, the Zoom series you're doing on Revelation. It's every Thursday starting next week, I believe. Yes, it's seven weeks and it's 70 minutes a series, a session and starts this Thursday night. People are interested, they will email me through the website thinkagainproductions.com and I'll gladly send them the Zoom link. It's free. We just ask for a donation. Hopefully the person comes and really loves it and says, well, this was had a lot of value for me and then can donate then. And yes, you're saying that the book of Revelation has a heptatic nature. So it is very cryptic. Um, yes. It is for us. But I guess for the, the people who lived in the, the first century A.D., who were familiar with, I guess, what they call apocalyptic literature. All, a lot of this, these metaphors and symbolism would have been more apparent to those readers. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, there might be a truth to that perspective. Basically, there's 800, there's 400 verses in the book of Revelation and 800 references to the Old Testament. So it's 400 verses and 800 references to the Old Testament. So it heavily, heavily draws from virtually all the books of the Bible. People often say, oh, it draws from the book of Daniel, for instance, or from Isaiah. But actually, really, it draws from virtually every single book of the Old Testament. And once you kind of factor that in and trace back all the reference points, already that exercise alone makes it a little bit less cryptic because, you know, it is drawing from books that we are already familiar with using metaphors that have already been established so that alone but you know it'll still remain cryptic in the sense that i'm not even sure this book is meant to be completely understood ever perhaps it's a testimony of god's foreknowledge and command over the creation that he declares things before they occur and yes it is a book to bless us and to guide us and i think it's partly the reason it blesses us is because it takes us in all these books of the bible that's what something uh, an old uh, Bible scholar uh, used to say. His name was Chuck Missler. He used yes. to say, you know, the, the book of Revelation blesses us because it takes us through the entire scripture to understand it. So even with all of that, it will remain a little bit cryptic. I think as we go deeper into the apocalypse, then God may continue to reveal and open this book up to us. The reason, for instance, I'm running this series is because we've all noticed that there's essentially an explosion of interest and demand from people wanting to dive into this book. Right. I think also for people who aren't Christians or who are nominal Christians, I think it's still a significant book because there are all sorts of cultural allusions to Revelation. So I think people yes. can appreciate it at that level. But let's start with some basic info here. I mentioned first century, but when do we know specifically when it was written? So, for example, how long after 
the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where was it written and by whom do we think? If we kind of were to just accept everything at face value, the book of Revelation starts by telling us that the author is John, um, who was one of the disciples, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. His Hebrew name is Yohanan, and it means that God is grace. He lived in in, uh, in Capernaum, or who was a fisherman in Galilee. But, you know, he also seems like a very well-connected dude because when Jesus has been arrested, he gets to go in because it says in the Gospels that he knew the high priest. Well, how did he know the high priest and how could he go in? It also says that it's the only Gospel that records the interaction with Nicodemus, who was a member of the a leading religious council that led Israel, the Sanhedrin. And again, that points to the fact that he may have been in the room when that conversation was happening with Jesus. So he must have been from some priestly pedigree. Even when they ran to the tomb at the resurrection, you know, he got there before Peter, but he didn't go in. If he was a Kohen, a priest, then he could not have any contact with the dead. And so, yes, we say he was a fisherman from Galilee. I remember being in, 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 in the city of Capernaum or in a little archaeological site of Capernaum in the north uh, of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And after the um, Romans destroyed Jerusalem, a lot of the Judeans moved north and they renovated the synagogue of Capernaum where Jesus had been teaching. You can still see the foundation of the synagogue where Jesus had been teaching, but on top of that foundation, they built a more glorious you know, synagogue. And there's a pillar there that has some of the names of the donors who donated money to the building of, of the new synagogue. And the Zebedee family is mentioned on that pillar as one of the donors. And that was the last name, if you will, of John. He was the son of Zebedee. So it seems that his family was living there still several two centuries afterwards, after the time of Jesus. They had roots in that region. And what happened after he became this disciple? The persecution against the Christians began because they are advocating for monotheism inside of, you know, the polytheistic Roman Empire. And one by one, they were arrested, killed, like Paul, you know, was beheaded in Rome in 68, I believe. And Peter famously was crucified upside down on the site where the Vatican is built. And John was tortured, but ultimately he wasn't killed. He was exiled. And he was exiled from the area of Asia Minor, which is like Turkey today, the Aegean Sea. There were seven congregations there, and he was the bishop of these seven congregations. They each had a leader, but he was kind of the leader of the leaders. And then he was exiled off the coast of the Aegean Sea just to create some distance between him and this movement that he was leading, especially since that area was a very religiously sensitive area for paganism and for the Roman Empire's religions, some of the main cults of uh, centers of worship in the entire Roman Empire were in Asia Minor and in in Pergamum and in virtually all the cities that that we see in the book of Revelation mentioned as the receivers of this book. You know, this book was written as a letter. So John was working and bringing people out of idolatry in a very key spiritual stronghold, that once that spiritual stronghold fell, then the wave of monotheism could now run through the empire. That's how significant it was. So he was then exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, 
which is close to that area, where we see the book of Revelation find him. An angel is sent by God, apparently, to convey this incredibly important message that the father gave to the son. So this is a communique between, you know, what Christians would call the first person of the Trinity to the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus, who's now received all authority and power and all of creation, then dispatches a messenger, a malak, and says, go, or angelus in Greek, go to Johannan, you know, this guy, the bishop of these seven congregations, exiled in the island of Patmos, and there tell him these things, but it's hidden in signs and symbols. It even says that at the beginning, that it's put in the language of symbology, in the sense that, not that the book of Revelation is a book of symbols, no, it actually is a book of prophecy, it's very clear, meaning it tells the future of the past, but it is it uses signs and symbols to communicate that, and so there's a cave there that tourists and pilgrims can visit today that is a man by the Greek Orthodox Church that continues to, you know, clean it and maintain it. And it was apparently in that cave where John was living when this angel visited him and the jury's out whether it was Saturday or Sunday. It says that it was the day of the Lord. And so, you know, he was Jewish. He kept the Sabbath. Was it Sunday or Saturday? One of those two days when he was worshiping, he had this divine appointment and this angel arrived and told him, to write this as a letter to the seven congregations that he was shepherding in Asia Minor. So it ends up being a letter like all the other letters that are in the New Testament, except this is a letter that is written by Jesus. Seven letters are written to seven congregations. That's how the book really begins. Right. It also begins with a vision, does it not? Is I mean, does John feel as if he has been, I guess like Enoch, in the the book of Enoch, he's sort of raptured up into the throne room is john similarly in this vision raptured into the throne room yes that happens in chapter four ah okay i'm uh, getting ahead of myself here <laughs> all right no no that's it but yeah yeah he meets the angel right on the island and then he receives visions in his mind as the same time as he's receiving words so he's hearing and seeing things but later in chapter four the angels has come up but that comes, you know, a few chapters in. So people don't realize that Jesus also wrote seven letters to seven congregations because they're tucked into this little book, the book of Apocalypse. Uh, you know, we think of the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, the letters of Jude or John. But we don't think of the letters of Jesus. But right. Jesus wrote seven letters, actually. And so seven letters to seven different churches. So I guess in yeah. some letters he's admonishing the church. In other letters he's supporting a, another church, you know, hold fast, because at this time, essentially, the church is under siege, right? I mean, the, Rome is on the rampage. They have just leveled the second temple in Jerusalem. Many Christians now have, have fled into exile, like John to Potmas and others. So, it, I mean, can Revelation be looked at almost as a war book? Yeah, no, that's a great point. It was technically, they say, it was written around 95 A.D., so all of these things, you're you're right, you know, that the temple has now been destroyed, that the exile of the Jews has begun, and um, the Christians are under siege by the Romans, uh, who are now carrying out a series of persecutions against them. There'll be 10 persecutions in all, and will go all the way into the 4th century until the Edict of Tolerance, 
by Constantine. So, so you're right. There is this feeling of, you know, what is going on. And it's really nice because the very first chapter of the book of Revelation is dedicated essentially to establishing the lordship and sovereign, the, 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 the lordship of Jesus. That, that, that essentially, you know, he, he's driving home the point that all power has been given to him. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. And that there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, because you know the kingdom of darkness is on is on is collapsing, and and that all authority in heaven and earth has been passed down to him. It's a continuation of of again you know as I said the, the, it takes us into the rest of the Bible. It's a continuation of of some of the things that started um, when he was with them. Like one day, you know, he took them up this road uh, to Caesarea Philippi where there's all these pagan Roman temples, was the, the center of worship for the Romans. And he stood on top of that rock and he said, you know, who do people say I am? And and then Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And and Jesus pointing to, not to Peter, but to the rock, uh, to all of these pagan temples. He said, you know, upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of Hades won't uh, prevail against it. Um, the, the un where those pagan temples existed in Caesarea Philippi, uh, the rock upon which he stood, at the bottom there was a water, um, it, it's a giant hole, it's still there. but Like it was a cistern. Like a cistern, this water would, would swirl and go into the ground. And you know, when you pray to the gods, you, you throw your sacrifice there. And if it went down, then your prayer was accepted. If not, it wasn't. And that was called the Gates of Hades. That was the official name of that place because it was the gateway to this realm of these gods and so jesus you know proclaims the ascension of his sovereignty and the and the um uh, the defeat of these spiritual powers that are over rome and these other you know um uh, kingdoms uh, when paul is is on his way to damascus in order to arrest the Jewish people who become followers of Jesus in the synagogue of Damascus, he has a vision and he receives his mission, and he and he repeats that to King Agrippa as well, um, that that his mission is to go to the Romans, and to bring them out of darkness to light, out of the dominion of Satan to God. This is the mission that Jesus gives Paul, and so we get this idea that there's a transfer of power. In the heavenlies, and now Jesus is saying basically, "Do not worry. I know that you live in the stronghold of idolatry, you seven congregations, but don't worry. First of all, all power has been given to me. Second of all, uh, don't let this, you know, the paganism follow you into the congregations. That's a reoccurring theme in these letters. That there was this in." They were bringing it in with them. Their old life was kind of pouring into their new life. Okay, Ali, I got to jump and, in here because we're going to take a, a quick time out. In um, also one of these letters, maybe when we can go, when we come back, we can touch on this. In one of these letters, he calls out one of the churches where uh, exists the throne of Satan or the altar to Zeus, which he identifies as the throne of Satan. Ali Seadatan, Think Again Products. We deep deep dive into the book of Revelation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. 
Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Alicia Atatan stays with us. Go to thinkagainproductions.com and uh, you can contact Ali through the website, thinkagainproductions.com and uh, sign up for his free uh, series, webinar, I guess, happening uh, Thursday nights. And uh, this is a, uh, is it a, it's a seven-part series on Revelation. Yeah, we're going to do all 22 chapters. All right, and it's uh, um, Thursday nights. What time again? Eastern? 7 p.m. Eastern. Of course. <laughs> October 7th, it begins, 7 p.m. Eastern. And if you miss the first one, don't give up. You can, uh, you'll, uh, you'll be posting the recorded versions as well, so people can yeah. jump in at any point, right, and catch up. Absolutely. All right. And it's a free series, but uh, feel free to make a donation. Again, go to, inf- in, uh, go to uh, thinkagainproductions.com and contact Ali through the uh, the website to sign up for the the, uh, the webinar series. All right, so I've got kind of a blueprint here, Ali, because we have much to to uh, to get through to give people just a very general sense. And then obviously in the web series you'll be drilling down. But so we were talking about the uh, uh, the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation. Is it not in one of those letters where Jesus basically through John is is calling out one of the uh, the churches? Where is located uh, the the altar to Zeus, aka the throne of Satan? Yeah, he calls it the throne of Satan, is and uh, that it's in the city of Pergamum. He tells them, he says, "I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is," um, and and that was a reference to the altar of Zeus, which was in that city. And he also, you know, calls out by name uh, Antipas. Uh, who was then sacrificed to Zeus, the the leader of the congregation of Pergamum, uh, was was killed by the priests of Zeus and fed to the bull, the brazen bull, where he was lit up and slowly melted. Um, so so that's fascinating. This insight that that Jesus gives us that the uh, he he creates a connection between you know Zeus and Satan, identifies removing the veil. And so now we know that the um, Greco-Roman world uh, that worshipped Zeus and Jupiter as the head of the pantheon was essentially under the influence. Uh, that was that was the realm, you know, of of the leader of the fallen angels. That was the territory that he had chosen himself, and that empire, you know, uh, hailed from him. Um, now, the, all the letters, all the cities mentioned here have a connection to the fallen angels ephesus we knew we know what happened with paul when he was in ephesus that there was a whole ruckus because uh it was bad for idol worship business uh what he was preaching so so they kind of gathered a crowd against him it was the center of the worship of artemis you know ephesus was an important center for that um another letter he writes is to smyrna which was the center of emperor worship. They had won the permission to build a temple to Nero. Um, and uh, Theatria was a center of worship for Apollo, known as the sun god. Um, and Sardis was, was, was home to many mystery cults and religions um, and to the magnificent temple of Artemis. Um, the people worshipped Cybele uh, and they held orgies in their festivals which is kind of what we see happen at the foot of the of Mount Sinai right. 
just want to get back to the throne of uh, Satan for a moment. You and I have talked about this before, and you were telling me how there was a German uh, archaeologist who discovered this uh, altar to, to uh, Zeus in Pergamon, Pergamon and uh, he uh, basically took the entire altar uh, back to Germany where they built a museum. They reconstructed it. Uh, inside this, the, the museum is, uh, holds the entire uh, altar to Zeus. And um, was it um, Hitler's chief architect, Albert Speer, who saw it and was um, so inspired by it that that if you see the, uh, the um, documentary Triumph of the Will, the, the, uh, the, the, the massive stage and backdrop that Hitler is standing on and at Nuremberg is based on this altar to Zeus, this throne of Satan, right? Yeah. Um, he created a large version for him, Nuremberg, because as you said, he was inspired. And, and that's from where the podium uh, that he was standing on, you know, when he was declaring the um, final solution and, and eventually the, the principles that led to the Holocaust to this Shoah, to this burnt offering, it, it kind of, you know, it's interesting where the bull was in, in, in the original altar, the bull that symbolized Zeus, uh, where, where you know, this, this brazen bull where Antipas was fed into, he put the microphone. And, and so, so it was interesting as though this was the, the voice of, 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 the, of Zeus. Uh, and from there he, he stood and he, and he declared um, the, the laws, uh, the Nuremberg laws, um, that led to 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 the Holocaust, um, and he said to Albert Speer, "I want you to make it like a religious ceremony, a, a Catholic mass." Um, and so Speer put all of these lights around it, and he lit them up, and they looked like pillars of light. Right. Uh, we should point out not that you know Hitler was not Catholic; <laughs> these these no, were occultists. Yes. Occultists. They, they were not Catholic, and but he wanted it to liken it to a mass. He hated Christians. Hitler very clearly hated Christians. Obviously, he hated Jews, but he also hated Christians. Yeah, this was definitely an occult thing. It was hailing back to the worship of the ancient gods, the fallen angels. And so you're, it's fascinating that, as you said, this, this altar that Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation as the throne of Satan is dug up and brought to Berlin, where it is to this day, in Das Museum di Pergamum, or, or the Museum of Berlin. And Albert Speer sees it, the architect likes it, and builds a giant version of it. And they put a big Nazi symbol on top of it as well. And you, there's a footage of the Allies, you know, bombing that, that symbol off that... Uh, and from there, Hitler declares the Holocaust. So, so it's it's fascinating. Right. Okay. I want to jump to uh, the um, the throne room. This is right. the um, this is the second vision in the throne throne room of heaven. And what does uh, John the Apostle see in the throne room? Well, he sees perhaps you know the priesthood um, of God. He 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 sees the 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 Son of God sitting there and reigning and he sees uh, those who had been martyred, you know, come back to life. Um, and he sees these living creatures that, that are worshiping, uh, you know, worshiping God and worshiping the son uh, who, to whom all power has been given. All right. Is he, he sees the cherubim and the seraphim and yeah, yeah. 
That's right. He sees these angels, uh, living the four living creatures, they're called. And they each have six wings, full of eyes all around. And they do not rest day or night chanting, holy, 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 um, you know, the Lord uh, of, of hosts. Um, and and so they 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 they're praising the Lord day and night, um, and and he sees God sitting on his throne, um, and he sees that uh, that those who had been martyred are receiving uh, you know uh, thrones as well, like smaller thrones, because there are many thrones in heaven, and there are twenty four elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads, and there's lots of theories about. You know who these twenty-four are? Uh, are they each from a different nation? Um, are they, you know, Old Testament um, um, saints such as Abraham and characters like that, and you know, New Testament ones put together? Are they leaders of a cohort because the priesthood was divided into twenty-four? So are these like divisions essentially of a heavenly priesthood? Um, there's lots of theories, and that's what I mean. It's it's kind of an enigmatic book. Um, right now, the cherubim, the the cherubim there was there was it the cherubim who guarded the throne? These were like you know almost like the uh, the secret service, right? They guarded the the throne. Was it the cherubim or the seraphim that guarded the throne? Um, well, here it would be the seraphim because they have six wings. The seraphim. All right. Um, and uh, and and you're right, like. These are very high-ranking angels. They they stand around the throne of God, so so they're very intimate to God. And Satan himself was the leader of the cherubim. So Satan himself was a very high-ranking, um, you know, angel, very close to God. Interesting. All right, um, we're just about rolling into a break here. But when we come back, let's talk about the seven seals and the seven trumpets. What is that all about? The seven seals and the seven trumpets. We'll get into uh, the cosmic war, the beasts, the seven plagues, the seven bowls of wrath, the battle of Armageddon. We'll squeeze in as much as we can. Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. Don't forget, go to the website, reach out to Ali through the website and uh, sign up for his seven-week series every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, as he takes a deep dive into the book of Revelation. Back with more of my conversation with Ali right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Ali Siadatan stays with us. Thinkagainproductions.com as we take a deep dive into the book of Revelation. Well, not so deep. I mean, it's pretty hard to do in an hour, but uh, he'll he'll get into more detail during his uh, seven-part web series, webinar series, beginning next Thursday at 7. Thinkagainproductions.com to sign up. All right. So, uh, the seven seals and the seven trumpets. What are, What is this all about, Allie? It's about judgment. It really kind of takes us back to the story of Exodus, where God arrives to deliver his people— and before that, uh, there's a war with Pharaoh. And, and that really is kind of where we get a lot of the, the, um, the characters um, that feed into the book of Revelation. You know, there is um, the Pharaoh is the representative of this world leader. Um, and, and there's going to be, you know, uh, seven empires that challenge, you know, the covenant that God makes with Israel. 
Um, there's Egypt, there's Assyria, there's Babylon, uh, there's Persia, there's the uh, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Seventh Empire. We are waiting for it, and that's kind of, you know, there's going to be another Pharaoh, and um, there's going to be the spiritual forces that were behind the Pharaoh, the gods of Egypt. There's going to be spiritual forces behind this guy as well. It says in the book of Revelation that the dragon, which is the symbol of Satan, gives him all power and authority. And, and, and this is something we see also, you know, in the temptations of Jesus, where Satan says to Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you all the empires of the world that are under my command. You can have Israel and I'll give you the empires. You just have to switch to my side. And Jesus says, it's written only worship God. So I think the seven seals and the seven trumpets are telling us about judgments that like the ones that fell on the Pharaoh of Egypt long ago that led to the deliverance of the people of God, these things are going to fall on this empire, uh, this final empire. Now, there are two theories. One is that these things have been happening over the past 2,000 years. Some of these things have been happening. Others, I believe that you know, it all begins with the first seal, which is the white horse, um, you know, the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse. The white horse is the one that comes where bearing a bow and a crown. And the crown that's given to him is different from the crown that's given to the people of God. It, it's it, You have to look at it in the Greek and there's two different words. This is more like the crown of Caesar. It's that kind of a crown. And, you know, God comes with a sword, but this guy comes with a bow. So, so again, he's more like a conqueror. And so people say, ah, really the apocalypse begins with the opening of the first seal and with the rise of the Antichrist. And he's represented, he's the first horseman of the apocalypse. And then he, even though he promises to bring goodness, but what will follow him are the series of you know six seals and seven trumpets these judgments actually will come to uh, descend upon his kingdom and his empire and his world okay it so are the uh, excuse me ali are the trumpets like a countdown clock like once the seventh and final trumpet sounds right that's that sets the end times into uh into motion well uh, well, I mean, it depends where you want to start the clock. Technically, the end times in the book of Revelation, it begins with the rise of the first rider, the first horseman, um, who who many people see as the Antichrist himself. You know, um, others will see the horseman as more of a symbol of a trend. You know, that's something there's kings, there there's conquerors, there's empires, that kind of thing. But if you really see the book of Revelation as talking about a very specific future time, above all, it's talking about a time that's ahead of us, then yes, the horseman becomes this, you know, this character. Um, so then it, it, there's a series of judgments. There's seven seals. The first one is the, is the uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the white horseman. Um, and then there's seven trumpets. So these are all a series of judgments, locusts and hail and things that sound a lot like um, what we saw in the story of Exodus over the Pharaoh of Egypt before, you know, he let go of the people of God. Uh, so, you know, th there are specific things given to us, like the sixth trumpet uh, tells us that the great Euphrates River, uh, you know, uh, will dry out so that, that these armies can come through. And 
it's interesting that the river Euphrates, which was a mighty river, very wide, has dried up. Um, they, the, um, the, the, the people who live in Syria, they built a dam at the foot of the Euphrates where it begins. Uh, that really helped drying it out. That's a very, very huge dam. And then um, Saddam Hussein wanted to punish the Shia that lived in the south of Iraq so that they could not have water for their marshlands. And so he also deflected the river Euphrates and dam it. And then so that also helped dry it. Right. But the prophecy is coming true. And it says that then there'll be this army that marches over. And the number given is 200 million mounted troops. And well, only China can, you know, have an army that big. So people go, oh, wow, look, the armies of the east coming over the Euphrates. That and, and, and so they look at China, they look at the river. And this is kind of how we, we, we try to understand the book. When, doesn't one of the trumpets is the seventh trumpet, the one that mentions Wormwood. And some have suggested that that was Chernobyl because it talks about um, like po- the um, three quarters of the the waters will be poisoned yeah. and, and they yeah. think that it has to do with Chernobyl, which is what w- Chernobyl means wormwood, doesn't it? It does, actually. Um, and it's the third trumpet. Um, ah. And uh, it's a great star called wormwood that falls to the earth. Um, even though, you know, Chernobyl, what did poison the waters all the way into into Switzerland, Europe and, you know, a deer in Switzerland were dying uh, because of they were eating strawberries uh, from the ground that now had been contaminated by this water, but it's not a star that fell into the ground. Um, there's a new book that Tom Horn has written, and he's dug up this asteroid that's on its way to the Earth. Apophis. Yes, and, and it's supposed to hit in 2029, and he says he thinks that's Wormwood, but it. I agree with him that it does seem to point to a star falling to the Earth, so this could be an asteroid strike for sure. And and just just so that we have the time to make this point, I think it's very important. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news because if I were to look at the book of Apocalypse from a bird's eye view, Apocalypse means unveiling. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The, the, the good news of Jesus does not end at the cross. In fact, the, the first and second coming put together form what is called the gospel, the good news. He doesn't just save people's souls and then live in an eternal heavenly kingdom that you know believers go to. He returns to heal the earth completely physically. Okay, I got to jump in because we have to take a break. We'll uh, pick up on that point when we come back. Ali Siadatan stays with us, the book of Revelation, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right, we are back with Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. We were talking about the uh, the seven seals, seven trumpets. Let me see, where did we want to go after that? We talked about Wormwood and whether or not that's the asteroid Apophis, which is the Egyptian god of chaos, which is supposed to come in April of 2029. Uh, or could Wormwood be Chernobyl, as some have suggested? Um, what about the pandemic? Does that, that we're currently undergoing, does that, do you think, fit in? Is that uh, one of the horsemen? Uh, what are your thoughts, Ali? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. It's, I think it's in, on all of our minds. Um, so 
yes, one of the horsemen, the pale horse, the fourth horse, Death and Hades, um, you know, is is that really plague? Uh, uh, he was it was given uh, power to take the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword with hunger, death, and the beasts of the earth. Well, you know, not really. It's not really doing that. Um, where does this pandemic fit? In you know, definitely plagues are mentioned throughout the Bible as an instrument of judgment by God. So some people will say, look, this is this is one of God's judgments. It's what is judgment? The purpose of judgment is to bring people attention back to God, um, that God is good, that God has a plan for humanity, but he's given us free will. And there's also these, you know, other beings in the universe. They're physical beings like us. They live in the in the physical universe. And yes, more than beyond, maybe there's other dimensions and all of these things. Great. But we're all together in a big story and we have free will and evil is real. And so these guys have, have gone with Satan. One third of them has. And we have the choice to go to the dark side. And that leads to judgment and ultimately death and destruction. Or we can turn to God and God has a plan of redemption, restoration, and a blessing. So so in that sense, the plagues are seen as an instrument of judgment and they're mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, is this very specific plague the fulfillment of you know a particular passage? I don't know. Um, um, the general theme is that there's something dark rising on the earth. Um, God then, you know, is going to bring judgment on this and destroy it and rid us, rid the world of this darkness and then free and redeem the people who've trusted in him and who belong to him. And the people that 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 are kind of in the midst of all of this and they don't really pick a side, they survive the apocalypse. They do make it into his kingdom. They just don't get at this point. Um, the eternal body um, that that he promises his disciples, okay. his followers. What, what about the the, the idea that the, this plague or other plagues or other pandemics uh, and the associated you know clampdowns on civil liberties and vaccine passports and and are you know the use of AI and the Great Reset uh, is all playing into the Antichrist system? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, um, in so the the plague itself is mentioned in Revelation six. It is part of you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and these are given power over a fourth of the earth. Um, and so you know this is kind of that would be one point nine billion people currently. Um, so it, has the pandemic done that? I don't. I'm not sure. No, for sure it hasn't. Um, but it has created this global response. It has created this idea of a digital um, identity system through the vaccination program. There is a there is um, a verse in Revelation 18 that talks about how the world has been deceived by uh, the by pharma pharmakeia, uh, by sorcery. That but the Greek because you know we have the Book of Revelation in Greek, and the word used is pharmakeia. Uh, which is attributed to a fallen angel who, uh, before the flood, is the founder of this notorious, you know, uh, body of knowledge. Not that there's anything wrong with, with pharmaceuticals or the herbs of the earth for our health, but but it seems that it's part of the whole idea of eugenics, and that sometimes it can be used by the dark side. Um, 
so the empire, uh, there's going to be a final empire. There's no doubt about that. The Bible is very clear all over the place that there's going to be a final empire and a final emperor. And we haven't seen that for a while. Since the rise of the republics and the fall of Rome, we've seen the different heads of Rome each go go take a try at it, whether it's Charlemagne, Napoleon, you know, the British. Um, this, but But today we may see all these different heads. Uh, from Moscow to D.C. come together uh, in a coalition and and eventually have a leader. Um, And this will be an empire that has AI and has digital uh, identity. And so since the Bible takes us to this extreme point of view, um, we can now surmise the stepping stones. And so we see that this pandemic has definitely created a lot of stepping stones for the infrastructure of such a thing to be built and eventually this thing is seen as 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 a plague that's removed by god i'm not just COVID, but this emperor and this empire is a plague over the human race that god comes and destroys and removes and restores health to the earth okay my Um, my uh and so the vaccine and the vaccine passport and I, i think people know my views on the vaccine passport um you know i i just think it's uh, unethical and probably illegal and, and all of that. But that's we'll park that for now. But the idea that for, that some people think that somehow this is the mark of the beast, you can't have the mark of the beast until you have the arrival of the Antichrist, right? Which hasn't happened. So therefore, exactly. the vaccine and the vaccine passport cannot be the mark of the beast. Exactly. That's, that's, I, I would agree to that. Um, that it's that it's more like the building of infrastructure. It's the first time we, we're all told that we all have to globally get behind something. Every nation is affected by it. Um, we are told that you know we should take this mass vaccination program, and that we should you know sign into a digital system of identity that allows us to travel and cross borders. So I I see that a it's like a dry run. A lot of um, you know, infrastructure is being put into place that can be used for more global uh, rulership. And also, I found it very interesting that if there is an, a theme here that God is preparing his people for the mark of the beast, that really you get the feeling that if you don't take the vaccine, that you're punished. If you don't take this particular digital you know, identity that comes with the vaccine, you're punished. And so the mark of the beast also has that feeling. It says that if you don't take it, you can't buy, sell or do commerce. So thinking forward, I thought, what are they going to do to us when we don't take the mark because we really can't take that one. Uh, it will, will, will probably take us and put us in some sort of a camp where they feed us and, and you know, shelter us. We'll, we'll be, we'll somehow will appear on the wrong side of, of, of the collective reality. And, and since we won't be able to function, then, then I guess they'll have to take us to some sort of a concentration camp and take care of us. This is just a, a theory. I don't know what's going to happen, but I see that there are overlaps and I see that there's uh, infrastructure being put to place, uh, but it's not exactly the mark of the beast. Like you said, it has All to right. be instituted by the Antichrist. Okay. Just have about two minutes here before we roll into the second hour. AZ Finn on the uh, YouTube live chat asks, how many seals have been opened and how many trumpets have been blown to date? Well, if I had the answer to that question, I'd have a best-selling book on my hand that <laughs> everyone would be reading. Um, the truth is that, ironically, these are the questions that we are all now trying to figure out. Something has changed about our attitude towards prophecy since COVID. 
Um, and there's a massive, you know, focus on this book. And I know from experience that when something like that happens, God tends to open it up. We are about to see new things in this book, and that's why I'm inviting people to join me in this study, because as we study together, we discover together, and God meets us in the study and reveals things to us. Uh, so I don't have a concrete answer to the gentleman's question. I don't think anybody does. Uh, but it, I think that we're, we're going to start, you know, getting into these things uh, as we go forward. I think God is okay. drawing our spirit into it. All right. We'll uh, take a time out. Come back. Ali Siadatan. Think Again Productions will stay with us into hour two, at least to the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about uh, the cosmic war, the beasts, and uh, the battle of Armageddon. Also, who is the whore of Babylon? All that awaits on the other side. Stay with us. Hour two of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.